You're listening to Tough Topics, a podcast by the Young Adults Ministry of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. To find out more about us, check out the episode notes below to find us on Instagram or Facebook, or visit our website at cornerstonechapel.net. Episode three. Welcome, everybody, to Tough Topics. It's great to have you all in today. Uh, This is the podcast where we answer your tough questions sent in, questions about God, the Bible, culture, and relationships. I'm Nathan, and we've got Jonathan, Austin, and Rachel here. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Having a good week? It's fantastic, Nathan. Thank you for asking. You're very welcome. (laughs) I'm excited to um, get into this podcast today. This is going to be a great discussion, I think, and um, something that I hope a lot of people can can take away from and it's it answers a question that i've uh, asked a lot in my own life and um as i've encountered this and so you know i know we we all probably know someone who is struggling with homosexuality if if uh those listening maybe some of them have even struggled with this themselves in the past or currently do and so that's the question that we're gonna kind of tackle today and and look at uh from a biblical perspective that is a question, how do I minister to someone struggling with homosexuality? So really excited to talk about this, to get everybody's perspective and um, to have a, a very, you know, biblically grounded conversation. And so I think that's a great place to start. We need to first, you know, identify and define what the Bible says about homosexuality. And then we've got a couple other questions that we'll answer that have been sent in. And uh, those three questions are, if God is love, why does he condemn homosexuality? Is same-sex attraction sin? And is it possible to be a gay Christian? So we'll uh, do our best to answer those questions in a little bit. And then we'll come back around to talking about some practical ways that we can, you know, minister to those who are struggling with homosexuality. But uh, Jonathan, I know you kind of had some stuff prepared for for this question, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Yeah, well, you know, all in all, this is a very it's a very sensitive topic, uh, and it's different from you know I think most issues in the church uh, in that it is one that needs to be approached with a lot of grace, but also a lot of truth. Uh, and so, when it comes to the Bible, you know, this is the truth. And so, I just kind of went ahead and made sure that you know I just kind of got some notes here on uh, you know a very firm biblical foundation for homosexuality and how uh, the Bible approaches the whole thing. And so this is sort of the truth that we are operating out of mm-hmm. uh, as believers. And so this, I am simply here just bringing what the Bible says to the discussion here so we can kind of have a foundation from where we go uh, as we continue mm-hmm. uh, this talk about homosexuality. So the the first, I think, really uh, overt mention of, of homosexuality in the Bible, it's as early as Genesis, um, and, uh, it's in Genesis 19, uh, about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is a well-known Bible story, I think, to anybody who uh, has been in the church for a while. Basically, you have these two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, filled with just these, these rampant, very violent individuals. And one notable, uh, quality about them is that they are homosexual. Uh, and it, it falls into the narrative of Abraham when Abraham's nephew Lot is staying in Sodom 
some angels come and they visit Lot. They stay at his house and the uh, citizens of Sodom try to get these angels to come out so that they can uh, engage in homosexual activity with them. And it's forced homosexual activity. So it's, it's essentially rape and it's, t- it's terrible. It's horrible stuff. And uh, anyone knows the story knows that Sodom and Gomorrah are ultimately destroyed there in uh, chapter 19. And so, so this is really our, our first mention of, of homosexuality in the Bible. Now, I think the thing that really made Sodom and Gomorrah such a, a threat or, or so just racked by their sin was more their violent tendencies. However, that does not excuse the homosexuality. So that's just kind of our intro, knowing that like homosexuality is an issue that's been around for a long time. It's nothing new. It's existed as far back as, as we can think. So, it, you know, this is our first intro to it in the Bible, Genesis 19. And, and so it's not the only mention in the Bible. And the Bible, uh, it's very clear about homosexuality. Very clear. Uh, some issues that we debate about in the church, um, the Bible isn't as clear on them. But homosexuality, I would not say is one of those things. Uh, the Bible is just 100% clear about homosexuality. We see it referenced again in Leviticus chapters 18 and 20, Leviticus 18, 22, Leviticus 20, verse 13, where homosexual activities are condemned uh, as sexual immorality in uh, the Jewish law. So we see it again there. And, and these are some very prominent Old Testament references. And, uh, and, and, and sometimes you can just dismiss certain Old Testament, Old Covenant conditions as being part of the Old Covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not the New Testament, the new covenant that Christ uh, brings along. And, and often that is where, you know, the biblical point on homosexuality is argued. You know, that's just the Old Testament, just it's Old Covenant. It, it's, you know, it doesn't pertain anymore. So that's where we kind of turn over now to the New Testament to see if uh, there's anything written in there about it during the New Covenant. And we do, you know, lo and behold, find, if not clearer teaching on homosexuality uh, in uh, two of Paul's epistles. And the first is Romans, uh, right here in the first chapter of Romans. Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 26-27, Paul lays it out clear that homosexuality is uh, considered a sexual morality. He, he describes it as an act that God does not uh, approve of and an act that brings no benefit for the individuals involved. So he spells out very clearly there that even in uh, the New Covenant, homosexuality uh, is is not a beneficial lifestyle, and it's not a lifestyle that God desires for his people. We move on to the next book, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 9. Again, this is really just like a reiteration of what you read in Romans 1. Uh, Paul just reinforces the fact that homosexuality is a sin, and, and later on, even in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 10, he, he references Israel getting involved in, in sexual moral acts. And I believe homosexuality is included in that as a uh, standard of what not to do. So even here we see in the new covenant that homosexuality is considered a sin. It's spelled out clearly. It's plain as day here. And so this is kind of the foundation that we have to work out of as Bible believing Christians. It's laid out here for us. And so this is kind of where we're going to build up our discussion from today. Yeah. Great points, Jonathan. Totally agree. 
the Bible is very explicit, um, very clear. I've heard mostly the arg- when when someone tries to present the argument um, in support of homosexuality that the Bible supports homosexuality, um, they usually go, like you said, Jonathan, towards the direction of well, Genesis nineteen, Leviticus, you know, that's all Old Covenant, Old Testament. We're in the New Covenant. Jesus ushered in the New Testament, New Covenant, and so we're New Covenant Christians. Um, and Jesus never addressed homosexuality, and so uh, what's the big deal? And I just wanted to point out and kind of tag along Jonathan's comments that uh, basically there are three divisions of the Old Testament law, three divisions of Old Testament law. You have the moral law, the ceremonial law, and dietary law, moral, ceremonial, and dietary. And in Colossians chapter 2, Paul actually addresses these divisions of the law, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically saying that the dietary aspects of the law are no longer binding on believers, that the ceremonial aspects of the law are no longer binding on the believer, but the moral law is still intact. And that is huge uh, because whereas the new covenant, the new Testament, yes, no longer holds Christians bound to different dietary laws like eating shrimp and uh, certain meat, thank the Lord, bacon, Ceremonial law, you know, Christians aren't bound to still celebrating the Jewish feasts, but the moral law is still intact, and that's sexual activity falls under that category of the moral law. Um, And so how we present our bodies to the Lord in our sexual practices is still a part of Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. So um, I just wanted to add that to say you know, the, the argument of morality, it's not mentioned in the New Testament, according to some people who are in support of homosexuality, but I would, I'd beg to differ and say that moral laws is always remain intact. So let me ask you this. Uh, we know that it's a sin. We know that the Bible lays it out as a sin, but is it a greater sin than murder or adultery or stealing or any of the other commandments? Is it a greater sin than those? It's a really good question because I would say that we as the Christian community paint homosexuality as the sin of all sins, Mm -hmm. as kind of an unforgivable sin. Mm -hmm. And I think we have, as a church in general, as Church Big C, the the body of Christ, I think we, we haven't done well in that area because I think we do have the tendency to paint homosexuality as the worst of all sins Mm -hmm. when um, I would say homosexuality, if one is struggling with that or one is practicing in that, all sins are equal at the foot of the cross in the sense that everything went in all of our sin, when we come to the Lord in repentance of sin, the the Lord can forgive and will forgive all of the sin that we present to him. Mm -hmm. Now, the decisions are, and choices of our sin might have differing consequences. I think, you know, to say what's the bigger sin stealing or uh, homosexual activity. Well, one might have larger consequences than the other um, lying versus homosexuality, lying versus stealing, you know, just, I would say the, the consequences might differ, but if one were to come to the Lord in repentance with a repentant heart, in their sin, whether it was homosexual sin or heterosexual sin, Mm. because I think that's another huge thing where Mm. 
we as the believer, as the Christian, can point the finger so easily at the homosexual sin, and yet we might be practicing heterosexual sin, looking at pornography, um, having sex with our boyfriend or girlfriend, and that is, that's the plank in our eye, mm. and we're easy to spot the speck in another person's eye. And so I don't think we've done well in this area of loving on the homosexual community in those ways. Um, now I think homosexual practices can uh, have major consequences on one's life, but it's just as as forgivable at the foot of the cross when you come to the Lord with it. So Jonathan presented a few examples from scripture of when, of where the Bible condemns homosexuality. And I think that kind of leads us into this first question. That is, if God is love, right? First John, if God is love, why does he condemn homosexuality? I'll touch on it real quickly because then I also want to get your thoughts, Rachel, on it and Jonathan's as well. But if God is God or if God is love, why does he condemn homosexuality? And it's a really good question because at face value, you know, it might seem contradictory because God is a God of love. God is love, as you mentioned in the scripture, but homosexuality is all about, the the homosexual movement is all about love. Mm. Like we just want the same rights and we just want to love who we want to love. So if God is love, then why can't we love who we want to love? And what I would say to that is um, you have to be careful at how you define love because my child, my two-year-old Ava, could easily say, if you love me, you'll let me, you know, and we do, we, we, this is an actual scenario. Um, she can't communicate as, as well. Um, but she's, her attitude still shows this. We'll, we'll, we'll take a walk to the park. Um, and there's, there's a lake by our house and she wants to go to the lake. So we'll go to the lake and she fights with me when I pull her away from the lake because I know it's dangerous but she thinks in her limited mindset, if you love me, you'll let me do what I want. Mm. And so that's super important. How do you define love? Because the homosexuality and homosexual practices are actually a, can be a very destructive behavior um, leading to very harmful consequences. And AIDS is obviously a huge problem in the homosexual community. And so... I would just briefly say, if God is a God of love, he will not allow those he loves to continue to pursue destructive behaviors and practices. Mm. Just in the same way, my daughter might think, if you love me, you'll let me do wherever, whatever I want, let me go wherever I want. But it's because I'm a loving father that I'm going to pull her away from those things and practices in which I know will only be harmful and destructive to her. And so homosexual behavior and practices also lends itself to very destructive consequences. And so because God is a God of love, this is why he prohibits and um, doesn't want anyone to pursue in homosexual relationships. Yeah, I think a lot of times um, th- we forget that like God condemns all sin. Um, He doesn't just condemn the sin of homosexuality. He condemns all sin um, because it's what separates us from him. And because he loves us, he wants us in relationship with him. But, but also this idea that, 
God is love is so much more than what we could ever understand. Like mm-hmm. he is a greater love than any type of marriage, homosexual or heterosexual. He is greater than any type of love that you would have between friends, between family. Like, And so we will ultimately experience that fullness of his love in heaven. But on this earth, like that's what we should be striving for is his love over everything else uh, because it's so much greater than that. And so I think that a lot of times people are like, um, even in, in the heterosexual community, um, they really search for and idolize that romantic love. And like, mm-hmm. that's the greatest thing. Um, but ultimately like the greatest love is, is the love of God. And, and so like to run after that love and then we'll get the rest of the love on earth. Right. Yeah. And speaking just like purely from that biblical standpoint, again, Multiple times in the Bible, First John three twenty, Psalm one forty seven five, Job thirty seven sixteen, God is described as being all knowing. So again, I'm coming from a biblical standpoint, but if you believe the Bible, that means you believe God is all knowing. Therefore, if He condemns something, He condemns it for a good reason. He condemns it because it's not what's best for us. Exactly what Austin said using the uh, using the comparison between him and his daughter. Uh, so I don't know. That's just kind of what I fall into when I think about this is the Lord knows what's best. Yeah. I think that a lot of us can have the tendency to view God with all these different religious rules, especially the rules we, we, we read about in the old Testament, um, during their wilderness wandering, he gave them a set of guidelines and a set of boundaries, a set of rules. And you could easily read those rules as a set of limitations on our fun and on our happiness. But in reality, like Jonathan's saying, uh, God puts those rules up for our benefit. Um, He's not a killjoy, but he actually gives us rules so that we can live the most beneficial life possible. Think of it this way. I heard an illustration with a, a child on a fence, kind of the same illustration I presented with my daughter, but a child, if, if a dad were to build a fence in his backyard, the child could see that fence as very limiting and limiting my fun. Cause I want to go, you know, a kid, a five-year-old kid wants to explore, wants to go uh, venture out. But the dad sees that from the perspective of if you venture out, it's going to be for your own destruction and for your own harm. I mean, you could run out into the road, you know, run into the street, get hit by a car. And so I'm going to lovingly place this fence in the backyard so you can enjoy life within these boundaries. And I just want to read a quick statistic. It's from a book called Legislating Morality, Norman Geisler and Frank Turek. But they talk about how uh, the homosexual uh, behavior, homosexual behavior and practices um, is actually, actually lends itself to uh, very harmful consequences. And in this, um, this study done, it said that the median age of death for homosexual men who did not have AIDS, okay, the median age of death for homosexual men who did not have age was, AIDS was 42. Uh, for homosexual men who did have AIDS, the median age of death was 39. Uh, and lesbians didn't fare much better. It says the, the 163 lesbians in the study registered a median age of death at 44 and exhibited high rates of violent death and cancer as compared to women in general. And this was a, um, and he also noted, keep in mind that these obituary, th- this study was drawn from an obituary, uh, several obituaries. Keep in mind that these obituaries, they say, were drawn from the gay community's own publications, so there's no anti gay bias in the data. Um, so, all that to say, um, 
homosexual practices lends itself to harmful, destructive behavior. Therefore, God prohibits it in his word, lends itself, uh, presents itself as the fence, as the boundaries so that we might enjoy life to the fullest. Uh, Any good loving father is going to give his children boundaries so that they won't go to their own demise. I love what Rachel said too about God condemns sin. And I always, whenever I think about this topic or I'm talking about specifically the topic of homosexuality with somebody, I'm always reminded too of my own sin. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, yes, God condemns homosexuality, but what other sins does he condemn that I'm committing in my daily life right. that I'm not mm-hmm. even thinking about or that I'm not even doing anything to change? Yeah, it's, and, yeah, it's the, it's the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus yeah. says, you're very eager to look at the speck in your brother's eye, but yet you have a log in your own eye. Mm-hmm. And so that's a great way to first, before you're eager to condemn someone else's sin, especially homosexuality, look at, look inward and and take inventory of your own life. Because the verses Jonathan mentioned, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, we always are easy to point out the homosexu- homosexuality as the sin, but Paul says... Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So homosexuality can stand out very easily to one who doesn't struggle with homosexual tendencies. And yet greed is listed in that same verse. And how much does my heart struggle with greed and wanting more and envy and covetousness? Um, and so that's a great point, Nathan, and just in, and you know, our heart collectively in addressing this topic is to come from, come at it, not from a condemning angle, but from an angle of love yet truth mm. because one without the other is incomplete. And so we need to provide truth. And that's what we're doing up front is just, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? So just laying the foundation here. Um, and just presenting biblically what the Bible says about homosexuality. The second sub-question here we've got is, is same-sex attraction a sin? I would say, um, is same-sex attraction sin? Quick answer, no. I, I would say, just um, just as in, you know, me being uh, a guy, if I were to be attracted to a girl... Um, you know, that would be a natural thing, but attraction, um, and it, it, it does depend on what you mean by attraction, mm-hmm. because if attraction might solely just be, you might be drawn to a certain individual, I would say that's not in and of itself wrong, but the line is drawn when it becomes, um, not when it comes, goes beyond temptation mm-hmm. and it enters into your heart and mind as lust and fantasizing. And so I would say if, if, if one has same sex attraction tendencies, it wouldn't be wrong because the Bible clearly says temptation isn't wrong. Jesus was tempted in every way as we are yet was without sin. So temptation in and of itself is not sin. And so if you have temptation towards the same sex and, and you are struggling with that temptation. Um, you have to guard your heart, guard your mind. But when you start, when temptation starts to trickle 
into sin and you entertain lustful thoughts, then that's where you can clearly biblically call that sin. And so it's, um, it can be a, a fine line, but that fine line also presents itself within heterosexual attraction yeah. and sin. And so be my, it goes back to everything that we just kind of yeah. talking about. Cause you could say the same question of, you know, is sexual attraction sin? Well, no, yeah. but you know, but then everything that you just said applies to that question too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I love like looking at Jesus's life and, and I know that a lot of people who, who will argue for homosexuality will say, you know, there's the, there's the argument I was, I've been born this way and you're asking me to deny my sexuality yeah. for my entire life mm-hmm. if I want to be a Christian. And, you know, a, a, a graceful answer to that is that, well, Jesus denied his sexuality mm-hmm. for his whole life. You know, he only lived to be 33, but he did that. Like he didn't marry. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm even called, uh, you know, in my singleness, I was called to abstain and to deny my sexuality Absolutely. as a right. heterosexual. Right. And so we are all called to that. Yeah. And even Jesus displayed that example of the utmost denial of his sexual tendencies. Yeah. As a man, he yeah. denied that until he Absolutely. died. Yeah. I, a brilliant response to that argument. Well, I was born this way. And so if God created me and I was born this way, then God must approve of my homosexuality. Brilliant response I heard to that was from a guy, his name is Christopher Ewan, and he actually uh, was a homosexual and then became a believer, turned from his homosexuality, and now he goes on speaking, different speaking gigs and lectures, um, just sharing his testimony about how he was involved in different homosexual behaviors, had relationships with other men and then totally by the grace and power of Jesus turned his life, repented of that, turned, turned from it, gave his life to the Lord. But I watched an interview of him and his brilliant was, his answer was brilliant because someone asked him, well, what if someone says I was born this way? And he first, uh, and he's very scientifically knowledged, um, unlike me, but he said, uh, well, first of all, just scientifically, there has been no evidence of us finding a quote unquote gay gene. Um, that doesn't exist. And he went on to provide different statistics to back that up. Um, I, I won't go into all that, but he said, but let's just, let's just say that w- later down the road, scientifically, we, we see a gay gene or a, a gene that has propensities and tendencies towards homosexuality. Even so, let's just say, okay, if you're talking with someone who says, well, I was born this way, I will give you that. Let's just say that you were born that way. That's exactly why Jesus said in John chapter three, you must be born again. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about a spiritual rebirth. So it's a very convicting answer because I might have, I might've been born with the propensity to lie. You know, I can be very, very deceptive and very good liar, but does that then justify because I was born with a tendency to lie Mm -hmm. for me to, after I'm saved to continue in my lying? Well, no, that's the spiritual rebirth that everyone must experience in Christ my sinful tendencies, even though I might have been born to different propensities, I must spiritually be reborn in Jesus Christ. And then the Bible says he gives me a new nature. He, he, we're, we're a new creation in Christ, Paul says. Mm-hmm. So brilliant response that I think I don't necessarily need to know all the science behind biology, but I do know that in my sin, 
I need to experience experience a spiritual rebirth in Christ, as does everybody, even though they might have been born with certain tendencies or propensities. Wow. All right, our third sub-question here is, is it possible to be a gay Christian? This is a difficult one. Uh, but... I think it really depends on uh on on what you mean by gay Christian. Uh there is not a single believer alive who does not struggle with sin. Like there's not a single person alive who doesn't struggle with sin. You're just because you become a believer doesn't mean uh your sin issues and your sin struggles are, are instantly gone. They don't evaporate. So say you have say you have someone who struggles with homosexuality and they come to know the Lord. Well, just because you accepted the Lord does not mean all of a sudden, like, wow, you're not going to struggle with that anymore. And so, yeah, I, I have no doubts in my mind that there are believers out there right now who struggle with, like we were just talking about, same-sex attraction, who who are very much pulled towards uh, members of the same sex. And and they can still be genuine Christians the same way uh, somebody who struggles with any other sin issue uh can still be a Christian. I really think the big determinant here in this discussion is, are they being repentant or not? Uh, Because Paul explains in Romans 12 that we're supposed to be living sacrifices, and and sacrifice is such a huge part of, I was saying last week, sacrifice is such a huge part of our faith. And, And so, is the individual acknowledging that homosexuality is a sin and then seeking help from the Lord to turn from it and remove themselves from it. And I would very much call that person a believer because that's the Christian life. You know, that's the Christian. You are working to move on from your sin. You are working to get better for the Lord, working towards that higher good. So yeah, of course they're a Christian. I think where the big debate comes is, am I a Christian and maybe this is where the person asking the question was coming from. Am I a Christian who is gay? I do not accept the biblical teaching of homosexuality. And so they are not repentant. They are living in what the Bible says is open sin. And they won't admit that this is sin. Now, that's where you have an issue there. I can tell you for sure that there, if, if anyone lives in open sin and is unrepentant about it, you are missing out on so much in your spiritual walk with the Lord, you are missing out and you only get a fraction of the beauty and transformation that comes with following God. And so that is where I'm wary and that you, you gotta accept the Bible if you're going to be a follower of Christ and the Bible is clear. Yeah. I think it comes down to the root of who's going to be the authority in your life. And if you're your own authority, then you can do that and you can pick and choose what which passages are easier to accept and believe. Mm-hmm. But if God is your true authority, then though scripture presents different things as tough and challenging, well, my submission and my authority is to the Lord, is to Christ. And so I'm going to have to submit my tendencies and behaviors to mm-hmm. what the Lord says. And the Lord makes such a better authority in my life than me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've tried to be my own authority in different areas and, like Jonathan mentioned, it only goes downhill and destructive and you won't experience true joy and freedom and liberation until you kind of just hand over your life to the Lord's authority and it always goes so much better. Well, let's get to 
um, kind of our main question today that we wanted to tackle <laughs> 30 minutes in. It's been a great conversation though so far. And, um, and this is where we can get practical and this is where, you know, I think a lot of people can relate to this question of how do I minister to someone struggling with homosexuality? Because we all, you know, depending on whether you've grown up in the church or not, um, and how long you've known Christ or, or not, or not, you know, you've heard probably what the Bible has to say about it, what the church has to say about it. And there's a lot of time that's spent talking about that, but there's not as much time talking about how do you actually minister to and be friends with and love someone who is struggling with this? Because I know for me in my own life, um, my outlook on sin can be very black and white. And then I have a friend who comes to me saying that they're struggling with this or struggling with that. And then it becomes a whole, like I, I have to completely restructure how I think about it because this person is very real and I love this person and they're my friend and um, how do I how do I deal with that? How do I treat them? So, so Austin, why don't why don't we start kind of tackling this question of how do I minister to someone who is struggling with homosexuality? Yeah, I would I would say that the way we need to approach any one is with grace and truth. Um, particularly those those struggling with like gender dysphoria or gender confusion. Mm-hmm. Um, practicing um, the LGBTQ lifestyle, we need to approach those conversations with grace and truth. And it has to be in that order because if you jump straight in with truth, it's going to come across as very abrasive or very harsh. Um, And so I would say you need to start with grace and you need to then follow that up with truth, truth, but you can't leave one out because grace without truth is just going to seem sloppy and accepting of sinful behavior, but truth with no grace, as I mentioned, is going to just come across abrasive and unloving. And so you have to have a good balance of both, but start with grace. Um, and it needs to be in that order. Um, but practically speaking, I would say like, let's say you have a a friend an acquaintance, you know, that is practicing in a homosexual lifestyle. Uh, I would say, number one, you have to be praying for them. Um, especially if you're not exactly sure at what angle to come uh, at that conversation, just first preface any kind of conversation by just praying for them and for yourself, by praying for them that the Lord would just soften their hearts, but also be praying for yourself that the Lord would give you the right words for the right time uh, to the right person. And that's something I always love and appreciate about our Lord in, in the Bible. He was very attentive to what the Lord wanted him to say, but not only what he wanted to him to what he wanted um, God to speak through him, but how to say it as well. And the how is so important because we might know the what, but the how is, is equally important. And so that's something just be praying for yourself when having those conversations or before having those kind of conversations, just be asking the Lord for wisdom. Lord, tell me what to say, but not only what to say, tell me how to say it so that it comes across in a loving yet truthful way. So be praying for that person first, because no doubt that Satan has a huge role in the homosexual movement and in their individual lives as well, because he's, he loves to lie and deceive 
And so be praying and asking that the Lord would just kind of lift those blinders off their eyes, that the Lord would soften their hearts to be receptive to the truth that you have to speak. Don't be um, worried, though. You know, truth by nature offends and it hurts. And so although you might have a conversation seasoned with grace, but you present the truth, they might not receive it. And that's okay. You just have to be willing to trust the Lord because truth at first by nature, it always stings a little bit, but then the Lord begins to work on their hearts. And so first be praying for them. Number two, let's say that this is an acquaintance, maybe a coworker or someone, um, and you're not exactly sure to how to have a conversation about that to them about this topic. You want to be, you want to speak truth into their life. I would say first, don't just jump right into that conversation, have and develop some kind of relationship with them. Super important because truth is much easier received when they, that person knows that you care about them. And so first, love them, care for them, um, just develop a relationship you know, with them um, by just kind of being friends and, and um, just that'll just go such a long way because when you speak truth, they'll know it's coming from a, a right heart and a right place. And then number three, uh, if the person doesn't know the Lord um, and, you know, doesn't know much about Jesus, doesn't know much about the Bible, um, just look for those different opportunities to share the gospel with them um, and to share Christ with them. Um, The goal in conversation is not to make them change their lifestyle. The goal is to introduce them to Christ and then allow the power of God to change them from the inside out. So we need to approach conversations very gospel-centered by sharing the love of Christ with them, sharing scripture with them, pouring into their minds and hearts just the love of Jesus, the gospel message, speaking to them about the truth of scripture. But our goal shouldn't, you know, we, we don't want to have the cart before the horse here because, uh, you know, our goal is not to change their lifestyles because so many people can easily just have outward actions, but inside their heart is still calloused and hard. Um, there are a lot of people in the Christian circle going to church, doing the outward tradition and actions, but inside their hearts haven't changed. So the only way that their hearts can truly change is when Jesus changes them through the power of his grace and love. And then once they come into, you know, hopefully by, by prayer, they come into a relationship with Jesus and then the Lord addresses those different actions and behaviors and lifestyles. So goal, the goal of your conversation has to be share the gospel with them that they might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and then their lifestyle and their behavior will follow in a true in a true way. Yeah, I like that last point. I think too often I've seen Christians come at it from a let me fix you before you come to the cross and that's like not the gospel. The gospel is that we go to the foot of the cross with all of our sin, all of our brokenness mm-hmm. and Jesus forgives us and then changes us. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there are kind of like what you were saying, like if you just change from a your homosexual practices to heterosexual, but you don't know Jesus, you're still separated from God and yeah. you're still living in sin. And that's not the point. Like what yeah, we want so is for you to come into re- right relationship with the Lord and to like know Jesus as your savior. And I think that that can go for both, um, believers who are struggling with homosexuality is like, again, bring them to the foot of the cross and that forgiveness and um, just that power that the Holy Spirit gives them. But then also like non-believers, like they first definitely need the foot of the cross and forgiveness and a relationship with the Lord first before 
anything is going to happen and they can't do it in their own strength. Like none of us, I think we have all experienced, like we cannot overcome sin or temptation in our own strength. It has to be from um, the strength of the Holy Spirit. And that comes from um, living a surrendered life and surrendering ourselves over to the Lord and allowing the Holy Spirit to like live inside us and to have that power over sin and temptation. Yeah. I love that point, Rachel, because it's not, and it kind of relieves us of any burden or pressure because we can't fix anyone that's the Lord's mm-hmm. job and the Holy Spirit's responsibility. And so it kind of, the pressure's off in that sense. I'm just going to share the gospel with them, love on them with the love of Jesus, um, not compromise on my morals or values or standards, stay true to who I am in the Lord and stay true to the truth of Scripture, um, not mm-hmm. try to appease them by softening the gospel or softening what Scripture says about homosexuality, but just love on them with the love of Christ and share truth with grace with them. But the whole life transformation and the lifestyle, uh, um, abandoning that homosexual lifestyle, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. And we can't fix anyone. So I love that you, you mentioned that and only Jesus can, you know, quote unquote, fix anyone, fix me or fix you. Or, and so, you know, he's the great physician. He's the doctor. He's the, he's the healer. That's his, job and so the burden is off the pressure is off on us in that regard and i think that once they are a believer or if you have friends that are believers that struggle with this um i think there are some quote-unquote principles that we can kind of guide through just the same as if we were struggling with any other sin um as a believer, like we are striving to become more like jesus on this earth we won't be perfect obviously um while we are living on this earth, but like the goal is to strive to that. And so I think that we build a community around ourselves so that we can be built up and we can um, be spurred on by one another um, to loving good deeds as, as Hebrew says. But I think that um, we kind of step away from that topic of homosexuality and that sin. And so we're like, I don't know how to help you. Um, and so we kind of steer clear of that. But I think that um, just like you would have people in your inner circle, um, mentors, pastors, um, friends, family members that can say like, Hey, I know that this is something that you struggle with and let me pray for you. Let me encourage you. Let me help you steer clear of temptation. Let me, um, speak truth into your life when I see that maybe you're flirting too closely to the line of sin. And I mean, I think that we invite that in our lives, um, as believers that struggle with other sin, um, and we help other people in that with other sin. But when it comes to homosexuality, sometimes we're like, I don't know how to address this. Mm. And so we kind of steer clear, but I think it's important for believers to have a community that can speak that truth into their life of, um, Hey, like you want to be more like Jesus and this sin, whether it's homosexuality or whether it's a different sin is not helping you be more like him. And so how can we help you to, um, be sanctified? There's um, a book by Jackie Hill Perry called Gay Girl, Good God. Um, She used to be uh, a lesbian. She grew up uh, going to church on Sundays. um, And so she kind of heard it all, but she, you know, had that that tendency and she just... um, really lived that lifestyle of, of, uh, being a lesbian. And, um, she had this incredible encounter with the Lord, um, just in her bedroom. And she talks about it. She talks about her life before, um, her life and like how she came to know the Lord and then like her life after. And, um, then at the end of the book, she also kind of gives some really good, um, 
references and, and some really good points about how to minister to that community. And um, it's just also really cool to see it from a perspective of somebody who struggles with this. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think that it's really cool to see somebody who lived that lifestyle, came, heard it all from the Christian community, mm-hmm. came to know the Lord, and then is now pursuing um, righteousness. It's really good. It's really well done. Um, I definitely recommend that book. Yeah, a couple more resources. I think if you're just interested in learning more about how to continue to minister to someone you know who is in a homosexual lifestyle, um, Jackie Hill Perry, as Rachel mentioned, also Patty Height. Um, she has a ministry called Out of Egypt Ministries, and very similar story um, was in a lesbian relationship, and then how had a powerful encounter with the Lord. Um, got saved, repented, turned from that lifestyle. Now she just continues to share her testimony. Um, so Patty Height, Out of Egypt Ministries, two good books I would recommend reading. Uh, one is called Understanding Gender Dysphoria, Navigating Transgender Issues in a Changing Culture. It's by Mark Yarhouse. Um, if you want a little bit of a smaller book, um, and this this book is more geared towards transgender Transgender, transgenderism. Uh, the book's called Transgender by Vaughn Roberts. Um, tra- Transgender by Vaughn Roberts. You can get them, I'm sure, both on Amazon. I think I got mine from christianbook.com um, for very little money. So two great resources on how to continue just to gain wisdom and insight from very knowledgeable and wise people on how to minister to those struggling with homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Well, as we wrap up, um, can we just like take a second to just pray? For anybody who's listening, I'd love to just pray for um, those listening who maybe have uh, friends who are struggling with this or those listening who are struggling with this themselves. And uh, just to take a moment to just pray over them and pray God's grace over them and that, um, you know, this is such a sensitive and hot topic in today's culture. And I just feel like we need all of God's grace Mm. in approaching this. Um, so let me just pray for a second. Dear God, I just pray over, uh, those listening right now, Lord, wherever they are at, whoever they are, um, whether they are, um, a non-believer struggling with this, a believer struggling with this, uh, someone who has a friend or a family member who's struggling with this, Lord, I just pray that you would overwhelm them with your peace and with your grace and that, um, your truth would be able to penetrate our hearts and that we would be able to accept your truth, Lord. And even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, that you would, um, that you would use your word to speak life into us, Lord, and speak truth into us. And so I just pray for, for those listening, that you would give them the strength and give them the words, um, give them the boldness to be able to uh, live out their their Christian faith in this way and, and minister to people with true, genuine love and care and grace and truth, Lord. So I just pray all of this in your powerful name. Amen. 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 Well, it's been great, guys. Thank you so much for, for being here and, and uh, talking all this through. Um, hope it's encouraging to someone today. Uh, let's wrap it up. It's uh, It's been a bit of a longer episode, but I think it's been great. Um, and so let's uh, wrap it up with a couple recommendations. I want to know where you guys are headed as soon as quarantine is over. 
because I've been thinking about this a lot. Where am I going to go eat? What am I going to go do? Church. Church. Other than church. I mean, church well, could be your answer. Uh, we all know church. Kidding. But where are you headed, like, as soon as this is over? Get me to the beach, man. Like, yeah. for real. It's almost <laughs> summertime. Get me to the beach away from all this. Nice, quiet beach. Chill in the sun. Read something. Go swimming. Yeah. Beach. That's my, nice. that's my pick. Probably say the movie theater. Just get me to a nice, yes. cold, dark movie theater. I miss movies, man. <laughs> give me a nice, cold, dark movie, Just too. Give me a nice, you're at it. cold Coke and a popcorn and cold popcorn. brew and a cold theater. Um, I just, I'm missing the movies. I don't know why. Yeah, I'm not good. like Dude, a huge movie junkie, but I got to go to a movie theater and just enjoy the fellowship of uh, my comrades. <laughs> You don't talk to anybody. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. true. Just silently sit there. Yeah, see about this whole quarantine thing. I'm fine not talking to anyone. I just, just want to sit next not to talk to someone at the same time in a movie theater. <laughs> um, I would ideally love to go to Disney. Um, oh, I just like have a love for Disney. Also, get me to like a concert or like to a place where there's like a packed house bunch of people mm-hmm. like just like and energized. So specifically a joe bros concert yes <laughs> yes i would totally love for the joe to go to the joe bros concert but just like that energy or you know disney's got like that energy as well like there's a lot of people that it's like super fun yeah. it's like high energy like as an extrovert that is what yeah. i'm missing or like even oh, here so at church just like yeah what? shocking Did not know um, that. no and even here at church like just that like energy yeah. of like there's a ton of people here like it's so yeah. fun like a a big crowd um but yeah we should just have like a big like night of worship or like a big like celebration night or something when everything opens back oh, up. absolutely that sounds be awesome great. sounds so much fun all right guys well we'll wrap up today's episode remember you can send in your questions uh to us via email at cornerstone sorry young adults at cornerstonechapel.net uh, you can text them to, what is that number, Austin? 94090. Thank you. And you can DM them to us on Instagram. So we will uh, be with you guys next week. Looking forward to it. Hope you have a good day. Bye.